0: to wherever you are my name is ryan mcneil in toronto canada you are listening to episode 248 of the matinee cast it's the movie loving podcast of my movie loving website TheMatinee.ca. you your home for cinematic passion and perspective we are officially entering the holiday season folks by now there are decorations all over the place we've all started eating too much spending too much or both the content surrounding us is quickly taking a turn for the merry and it's all well it's a lot I know, this year, one could be understood if they didn't feel like celebrating anything. I mean, 2020 has been a shit show. We've lost people, we've lost jobs, we've lost a whole way of life that was seeming very, very nice for our privileged little selves. That's a lot of loss to saddle on a so-called festive season. Around here, I believe it's important to mark the holidays because we, you me certainly my guest today who's so very dear to me we're still here 2020 is throwing its hardest friggin punches at all of us and we are still standing and that's not nothing so sure things will be a little bit more subdued but the holidays are here at the matinee and they begin today and i could not be more excited by the guest who has come by my door to sit and break bread she has been a part of some of the very, very best episodes. She takes the conversation to some fantastic places, which really, it's really quite easy for her because she's a lot smarter than me. She <laughs> is one of contributing voices at Shudder.com. We are across the wire to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Ariel Fisher is here. How are you,
1: Fisher? Well, I'm crying now. It doesn't take Aww. much these but my God, man, <laughs> uh... I I,
0: I tried to get it just so, you know, I'm like, if if you you can't sit here, if if we've got to do this over the several platforms that we've got our laptops working on, (laughs) I, I need to get this just right.
1: Well, also, I mean, to be fair, I have made you cry how many times around the New Year's episode? So oh, I think over it's and- like every
0: time <laughs> Oh, it's, it's going to be weird doing the year end show and not weeping. I'm going to have to put my guest on notice to try and pull that off on top of the fact that it's going to be one person and not three mm. on episode 248. We are going to be discussing happiest season. We're going to be flipping the record over to play the other side. But first, we need to learn more about Ariel. This is no Your Enemy. As I've mentioned, Ariel has been on all kinds of year-end episodes and special episodes, but officially speaking, she is a six-time guest. The first time around, she appeared on episode 112. We discussed Raiders of the Lost Ark. We learned the first film she ever saw in a theater was Home Alone. The last film she'd seen at the time was Chef. The worst film she's ever seen is Legally Blonde 2. The unseen classic or essential is Lawrence of Arabia, which she has now seen. And the film that she wished she'd made is Pulp Fiction. Fisher returned on episode 139. We talked about slow West, the film that she digs, but nobody else does is burlesque. The film, everybody else likes films, plural. That's going to happen a lot. So get used to it. (laughs) Um, The films that everybody else likes that. She does not are both 2001 a space odyssey and blade runner. The last film to make her cry was big hero six In the movie of her life. She'd be played by Catherine Hepburn. And the movie she was watching next is the imitation game. Ariel return on episode 180, we argued about The Beguiled, and we learned that the movies that made her love of movies turn a corner were both Annie Hall and The Purple Rose of Cairo. Her first date movie is Interview with the Vampire. Her sick day movie is what I call the adventure film Essentials, Princess Bride, Lord of the Rings trilogy, Back to the Future trilogy, Jaws, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. The last movie to leave her speechless was Germany pale mother. And her epitaph would be from Anne of Avonlea. I went looking for my dreams outside of myself and realized it's not what the world brings to you, but what you bring to it. Ariel then came back on episode 205. We talked about eighth grade. We learned the film. She really digs, but never wants to see again is Germany pale mother. The film (laughs) that genuinely freaks her out. Plural are the exorcist and the changeling. The movie that always makes her laugh is the heat. The movie soundtrack she loves the most are both Almost Famous and The Red Violin, and the movie she likes but nobody else has heard of was a combination of Age of Innocence, Volcano, and 90 Minutes. Finally, uh, just last summer, holy crap, it feels like way longer now, um, oh, yeah. episode 225, we talked about Smart. We learned that when Ariel goes to the theater, she likes to sit dead center, middle middle. If she could go on a date with any movie character, she actually skewed it to television and chose Ned the Pie Maker from Pushing Daisies. The dirtiest movie she'd ever seen is something called Septic Man. Her favorite black and white movie is Laura, and the film she likes, but nobody would really expect her to like, is Martyrs. All right. Time for round six. Ariel Fisher <laughs> at home or in the theater. What is your movie snack of choice?
1: Popcorn. Look at me <laughs> giving you one answer. Oh <laughs> boy. I could, okay, I could sub in an alternate, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be good for this first round at the very least. All
0: right. All right. <laughs> um, uh, mariah gates mentioned popcorn as well she like she was one of the few people to mention it but everybody else is either like i'm not a snacker or uh just an energy drink or coffee like that kind of thing but yeah like the the actual just kind of textbook answer of popcorn really doesn't come up
1: Oh my God, I'm addicted to popcorn. Even if, if I'm at home and I'm watching a movie here, uh, my husband and I will make popcorn and hell, if we're just watching DS9, we'll make popcorn. But if I'm in the theater, I will get popcorn because it's just so delicious. The other, I see now you're coaxing it out of me as a potential sub. I'd maybe say nibs, but like popcorn is the be all and end all.
0: So now of course there's different ways to take the popcorn. So how do you like, let's, let's get into this now. How do you take your popcorn at the movies?
1: I take my popcorn as is. When I'm at the movie theater, I don't add butter. Right. Um, at home, I'll usually just do, like, we pop popcorn in a pot on the stove, and then I'll drizzle it with olive oil and some salt and some nutritional yeast, because it makes it taste kind of cheddar-y and a little nutty, and it's really tasty. And uh, John, my husband, has this, he found this recipe for a, like, like cheesy Doritos flavor popcorn okay. seasoning. So we right. make it from scratch and like put a yeah. bunch of seasonings together and then put it in the blender. So it's nice and thin and then, okay. or like fine, I should say. And yeah, 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 we'll toss our popcorn in that. But we like, we try a bunch of different flavors, but good old olive oil, kosher salt and, and uh, nutritional yeast is always a winner.
0: Yeah. like It's crazy because I found that at the theaters growing up when I would take it with like extra topping on it or something like that, like the the butter flavored topping. Um, I couldn't finish it right like it was always just too much and too greasy and too oily and everything and I just I'm like it's butter flavored anyway if you just take it as it is I'll you know then yeah I I always finish the bag it's the the funny thing though is that for me um, popcorn is actually a sports snack like I usually have popcorn when I'm watching playoffs not so much at the movies I know it's weird but uh, yeah no okay yeah popcorn I mean You know, we don't always have to be complicated and say.
1: (laughs) I shall have a whole roast chicken. (laughs) Served in a man's hat.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Floating in perfume. (laughs) Yes. Uh,
0: Moving right along. Uh, Ariel Fisher, what is a movie world that you'd like to spend a day in?
1: You know what? Little Women. Okay. Like 1994's Little Women Spend a Day with Joe in New York kind of thing.
0: Okay. Uh, or then like, go home
1: to Marmee and you know be there for a little bit and exist.
0: Here's where that gets good because once in a while, this is how this answer is played: is you spend your day and then you get to come back, so you don't have to deal with like 1900s patriarchy. Exactly. You know, you get to come back to 2020 and like you know vote, work,
1: um, you know, be allowed kind of in certain public spaces. You know, yeah. adding the fact that I'm Jewish is a whole other ballpark. So there's a yeah, lot of yeah. shit I wouldn't have been able to do in like AD 1700s, 1800s, Connecticut. Yeah, yeah But, yeah. but yeah. for a
0: day, you know, like like wear the bustle and 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 you know wear some shoes that like clomp around and that kind of thing. Check out some some books that like are, are just like glorious copies of stuff and probably bring them back with you.
1: Oh yeah, and do you, are you kidding me? Could you fathom? A day of me hanging out with Josephine March, debating politics, feminism. Can you even imagine? Like, because I, that, that, that would be nice. That would be nice. (laughs) Yes. I would like that very much. Yes.
0: And specifically the 94 version instead of like, I know you love the new one.
1: I think specifically the 94 one, because it holds such a uniquely special place in my heart. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to cry talking about this one and I'm not going to make you cry talking about this one. So I'm okay. just going to put it out there. Cause I could, I could, yes, I am gifted yes at making people cry, but also making myself. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. you've, you've already done therapy today. You know, you don't need another, de- I, know, I mean, it's we, we can all use, we could always use more, uh, but still, Still, Uh, moving right along. What is your favorite good scene in a bad movie?
1: So this is going to be a bit of a callback to a previous answer, which I didn't realize I had given, but now makes perfect sense. Um, When we first meet Cher in Burlesque. Her, her song, Welcome to Burlesque, uh, it is, I, listen, I am a firm believer in the notion of there are no guilty pleasures, there are only pleasures, yeah. like you, you like yeah. what you like, and that's fine. But I am still a professional and know that, subjectively speaking, objectively, however right. that works, burlesque is not a good movie. That said, I... Love it! I adore sure. that movie so much. It is cotton candy, and I want to eat every ounce of it. And that opening scene—that well, the the scene where you meet Cher's character—Welcome to Burlesque—that dance number is just so beautifully referential of Fossey, of Bob Fossey, and like in the most overt ways possible, it's basically a complete rip of Cabaret's opening sequence. And I love it. I eat it up. <laughs> it is delicious and wonderful. And here's where I'm going to break the rules. I have an alternate (laughs) because of course course I do. Of course you do. Another movie that I adore that I know is objectively not that great. uh, Deep Blue Sea. And I love it to death. It is probably in like my top 30 if I had to place it. So I don't know. I make this shit up. I don't know where my rankings lie anymore. It's all kind of mishmash. I don't know what Jeremy we were in anymore either. But the scene with LL Cool J where Mm. he kills the shark after escaping the oven is so good. It's just so good. I love uh, it. I love it. It's wonderful.
0: Moving right along. And this is going to be an interesting question considering your, your taste. Um, Ariel Fisher, what is the most violent movie you've ever seen?
1: Martyrs hands down.
0: Right, That one is not guessed.
1: something I have to think about. Yeah.
0: That, that's, this is saying something because you are a person who surrounds yourself with uh, cinematic fear. Right. Like you, like you, mm-hmm. your bread and butter is uh, among other things. Like I don't want to pigeonhole you as no, strictly a scary, scary movie person. Cause you, cause you, you have quite a, a wide array of tastes. Um, but I mean, these days, especially like your, your, your bread and butter is scary movies. And there's, I mean, there's all kinds of ways to scare people. Everything from, you know, the boogeyman under the bed to something like martyrs. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it says something that like in all of these, stories which let's say at least half the time violence occurs this is the one that takes the kick
1: Well, and this is the thing is specifically with Martyrs, and I think depending on how many horror fans are out there listening, uh, some of them may, you know, be jumping in with that. Actually, it's not that violent and they're not wrong. It's the same argument as with something like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre where everybody was like, oh, it's so bloody and gross. And it's like you actually almost never see any blood in that movie. And it's not as violent as your mind makes you think it is because of the way it was shot. And it was shot brilliantly. Martyrs is kind of a comparable concept and execution it is just brutal it is it is brutality and it's not so much violence in terms of um like it also depends on how you think about violence like are you thinking about slashers where people are just you know you've got jason going and cutting a bunch of people up or killing them with a flying v it's not quite that kind of violence where it's really overt it's it's almost psychological violence particularly pertaining to the fact that the film is kind of centered in this discussion of our manifestations of guilt and grief. Oh. And it's, it it messes with you. And it really, it, it's, it's violent in the way it forces you to confront things that you're uncomfortable with
0: yeah we did dig into it when you first when you when you first started talking about it as as you know, on your on the last show. but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Violence is subjective. you know, like what is violent to one person is not at all violent to another person. It's the reason why I ask that question. the same as I ask, what's the scariest movie you've ever seen because yeah, everybody's gonna come at it from a different way. And yeah, some people, like you know, you've seen all kinds of movies and I've seen all kinds of movies where they are, tremendously bloody or just go all in on like guts and viscera or whatever but it ends up playing like a cartoon right whereas exactly. something else can really just get into your head and mess you up and you mm-hmm. think to yourself that you know that was disturbing you know what like i i still haven't <laughs> seen martyrs and the more we talk about it the more i the, the less i want to so uh, no, uh, I,
1: I will firmly say it's not for it
0: you be. gotcha <laughs> moving right along last but not least for now ariel fisher what is a movie monologue you'd like to deliver
1: i debated uh sally albright in when harry met sally when they're at lunch when she's at lunch with harry in their like present tense and they become friends and she's talking about her relationship falling apart because i love that monologue and it's usually the first one i go to they're sitting at lunch and she's talking about you know we always said how lucky at what we were. We never had kids because you know, or we never got married because whenever you got married, you stopped having sex. It's true. No one tells you this. You know, all of our friends. Well, our one friend who has kids. Da 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 da. I love that monologue, but I right. think I have to go with, despite my love of when Harry met Sally, which is profound and boundless. Um, I think I have to go with Robin Williams' monologue in Goodwill Hunting on the park bench. We're oh, talking about knowing about loss and, you know, you could, you, you probably know all the details about Michelangelo that you read in a book, but I bet you couldn't tell me what the Sistine Chapel smells like. And it just, there's always been something, I mean, it's a combination, right? It's his delivery that the idea of ever emulating it is unimaginable, but also it's just such a beautiful it's a really engaging and beautiful and touching and thought provoking moment. And I miss that man so much. My God.
0: So you've, you've sparked a couple of things in my head all yeah. at once. Uh, Cause it's been quite some time since I thought about Goodwill hunting. First of all, you sparked the fact that for a hot minute, that was my favorite movie. It's biggest problem was that six months after it came out, something else came out that shook me even harder and it just started falling down the line, down the line. Um, number one, number two, um, I find it now that I'm grown, uh, not quite Sean McGuire's age in the movie, but closer to certainly closer to his age than Will hunting, whose age I was when I saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it really quite um, interesting and beautiful and impressive that two 20 something year old kids were able to write that because that's a very mature speech.
1: Yeah, And
0: you know, while there's been jokes and whatnot about how much Ben and Matt actually did of, of the writing and over the past, you know, they, they did the writing. Um, They won an, o- they won Oscars for it, but it's, but considering that they're two bro-ish jokers from Boston, that was yeah. mature writing beyond their what i would consider their grasp and it's it's wonderful um and i haven't thought about that in a long time but what you remind me of most is the fact that uh four years ago now i took my very first trip to italy and sure enough went to the sistine chapel and i was so looking forward to finding out what it smells like in the sistine chapel because i knew about this monologue you know what it smells like in the sistine chapel Nothing. It yep. Smells like wet. Smells like wet church. I was like, it smells like cloves. Smells like myrrh. Smells like. But that's
1: what it s- smells like. Nothing. That's, no, I didn't. Like, you just didn't, said you just said it smelled like wet church and it smelled like myrrh and it smelled like cloves. No, no. No, but it
0: didn't. That's, not, that's what I'm saying. It wow. didn't smell like myrrh. It didn't smell like cloves. I was expecting to smell something distinct. I just smelled building. Is what I, I'm like, so I mean, it's funny because on the one hand, that completely betrays, as I was just saying, like two 20 year olds writing this. They've obviously never been there either because that line makes no sense.
1: Well, but it does make sense because it depends. It depends on a million different factors. Like, I remember i I can remember distinctly what the air smells like in Jamaica, yeah, I mean it's sweet in yeah. a way that nothing else is, and I can remember I can remember what um what the islands smell like in Thailand because mm-hmm. it's just again it's sweet, but it's but it's salty. There's a salination to it. Like it's unique. There's, Mm. there's, there's usually something in the air whenever you're in a place like that. And sometimes it's a lot and sometimes it's not enough or sometimes it just doesn't reach you.
0: Yeah. I mean like what you're talking about, like I can, I I can feel the air in Miami. Like I can Mm. feel that, kind of humidity but i mean i can also get the smell of the sistine chapel as it were if i go into like a certain corner of casa loma so (laughs) i do listen i do love that speech it's wonderful but just my life had this real moment of disappointment when the sistine chapel just smelled like wet church you know i wanted something (laughs) not nothing but that is a great monologue um i will if anybody hasn't seen the movie i will include uh i'll probably include like a clip of that monologue in the show notes so go there and look um and thank you ariel fisher for uh a sixth round of know your enemy we have a movie to talk about as i mentioned in the opening of the show it is the holiday season so for the first time in a very long time we have a christmas movie to talk about come on right back after this we're going to be talking about happiest season right after this So be advised, we are going to talk about this as a complete film. So if you haven't seen Happy Season, it's on Hulu right now. Uh, I don't really know where it's available in Canada. Uh, I believe it's on demand. Go watch Happy Season. Come on back afterwards and listen to our conversation, because there are things at the very end of this movie that I believe merit discussion. But Happy Season is directed and written by Clea Duvall. It's co-written by Mary Holland. It stars Kristen Stewart, Mackenzie Davis, Alison Brie, Aubrey Plaza, Dan Levy, Mary Holland, Victor Garber and Mary Steenburgen, Happiest Season, is about Abby and Harper. That's Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis, respectively. The couple have been together for about a year when Harper spontaneously asks Abby to come home and spend Christmas at her parents' house back in her hometown. Abby is reluctant at first, but agrees to the invitation. There's a slight hitch. Harper hasn't come out as queer to her parents, or her siblings, or... Almost anyone back in her hometown, really. So when Abby arrives, she introduces Harper's friend and roommate to Harper's politician father, her momzilla of a mother, and her hashtag blessed sister Sloan, along with her really, really trying to be her best self, younger sister Jane. Add in some ex-boyfriends and even an ex-girlfriend, and you can almost hear the swans a swimming and the geese a laying. I have long held fast to a theory that the very best Christmas films are not really about the holidays at all. All of this merriment, gift-giving, gathering for lavish feasts, it's all a backdrop for something much more human and non-secular. What I'm saying is, for the very best Christmas movies, the season is merely the stage, not the story. With Happiest Season, we put that theory to the test. The titular Happiest Season is not so much the subject of the story as it is a nod towards a greater theme of appearances, and how we can sometimes get so caught up in the appearances that we are blinded to the truth pop quiz hotshot. What the hell is it about the holidays that we get so caught up in appearances and weighed down by expectations of a season?
1: Well, I think so much of particularly before in the before times, as yeah. my friend Lindsay likes to say uh, before all of COVID and everything, I think there was really, and there still is to an extent, this obsession with, Presenting life as perfect, because if it doesn't look perfect to the outside world, then it can't be perfect on the inside.
0: Mm. And on
1: the inside, it's messy on the Mm. inside. It's full of, you know, petty arguments and disagreements and love and friendship, but also, you know, stubbed toes and broken fingers. And it's not you know bad hair days and y- you name it there's always something it's not it's not perfect and what's not perfect what what is what is messy scares us because i think we equate messiness and complicatedness complications i guess with failure and mm-hmm. we've kind of come to associate i think that with generally anything to do with our lives, you know, especially with things like specifically Instagram. I find it's really bad for this because it feeds off of the notion of perfection. It doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, nobody wants to see the picture of your badly lit, perfectly fine birthday cake with, you know, rainbow sprinkles. They sure. want to see your lavish, extravagant three tier cake with, like a white chocolate ganache they want to see the perfection they want to see the extravagance they want to see the excellence Mm -hmm. um and i think we've started to really kind of lean into that and i think the holidays are kind of like the pinnacle of this particularly because of a lot of christmas movies or or we we forget it's kind of in a weird way this is going to be an odd comparison but in a weird way it's almost like forgetting what zombie movies are really about
0: (laughs) yeah yeah No, no i like it yeah, I get but it.
1: like it's, it's theoretically, you know, for those who don't know, or those who may zombie movies, as they originated, even uh, when they, you know, I, I walked with a zombie or white zombie and things like that, they largely tackled issues of slavery, even though mm. a lot of people don't necessarily know about that. It tackled uh, uh, voodoo and, and those subjects. And then you got George Romero, who completely revolutionized it and made it where the demon, the monster was humanity. Right. Right. And the the failures of the genre forget that and forget that the humanity aspect is where the impact lies with Christmas movies. I find it's a lot of the same thing. You kind of lose focus if you focus too much on the holiday itself. Like it's Christmas. This needs to happen. And da 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 da. Check, 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 check off the boxes. It kind of loses focus. I think it's 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 one of the reasons movies like It's a Wonderful Life are so important and are so impactful is because you're right it's not about the holiday itself and we forget a lot of that i find just in our daily living we forget yeah. that it's not about the appearance of things it's about the reality of things
0: i i think you're absolutely right and i think that you know the the holidays exacerbate appearances like the same way that, that a wedding will yeah. will exacerbate appearance right because it's 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 a meaningful moment so it must Be given that kind of respect, right? I think when I thought about my own question, um, where I where I kind of came down with it is life for all of us is very much about momentum. It's about growth. It's about moving forward. And you know, even if you are not evolving, even if you get to a certain point in your life and you you are who you are, as a lot of people just kind of get to a certain point in their lives and they're like, I'm done. Um, but it is still about moving forward and growing and evolving the holidays no matter what you observe and what you believe and what you celebrate are almost always about going back Uh, you know like holidays by their very nature are traditional and so you have this moment where you are progressing and becoming somebody new and you know involving other people in your life and for you know a day or a week or whatever it is, you have to press pause on all of that and rewind. And it just, the two things do not fit. You know what I'm saying? Like you go back to, like, you take your partner back to your childhood home or to even just to your hometown, like not even to the building itself and you are different, but everything else is as you left it. And you know, now all of a sudden you've kind of got to be part of that person again. So it really screws us up.
1: Oh yeah, completely. You know, you get that weird kind of regression.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's just baked right in there. Like no matter, as I said, like no matter what you observe, you're always going back to the homestead. You're it you're going back and being some version of your younger self, while in the body of your older self, and having you know, in in the case of of one of the characters in this movie undergone i was gonna say changed but really she didn't because we learned that this is something that she had been you know working on for a long time but moved forward and now you go back home and it's like oh shit i gotta move back again
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that always seems to you know kind of throw us for a loop whenever whatever holiday it happens to be um we did not actually talk about it but what did you think on uh, in, a, in a broad sense of happy season
1: i liked it she says no. with a question.
0: No. I was gonna, that was a, I, the, the voice went up there. Uh, uh,
1: you know, uh, uh, full admission, dear dear listeners. I, I finished this just a couple, just a few hours ago. I'm struggling with it a little bit. I I liked it. I really liked it, but it has problems. Oh, yeah. Mostly in the fact that it kind of glosses over the problems it brings up. But it also does bring up some very good problems. Like it's, it's, I guess we are talking about we're, we're, we've, you've already given the spoiler warning. So it's okay if I just, okay. So I think like on, on initial thought, I like it on deeper thought. I like it, but it has some issues. The issues being that it really, it tackles the notion of when is the right time to come out and what the process should be with coming out in a little bit of a problematic way. Uh, There's a very lovely monologue by Dan Levy, who we've come to know and love as David Rose in Schitt's Creek. And, it's very in keeping with what happened on Shit's Creek. And those fans of the show will know what I'm talking about. It's he talks to Kristen Stewart about, you know, her. So her girlfriend, whom she wants to propose to, hasn't come out to her parents. That's the entire premise of the of the film. Mm-hmm. But we find out that she was almost unceremoniously outed against her will in high school, instead of allowing herself to be outed at the time with her then-girlfriend, she threw her then-girlfriend under the bus, played it straight, and then that was that. And that's horrible. That is heinous. Um, Now, as an adult, she's so desperate to keep this part of herself hidden, and like, for valid reason. And... Dan, uh, Dan Levy's character is talking about this and saying, you know, like, what was it like for you when you came out? And, you know, Kristen Stewart says that her parents said that that they loved her. And he's like, yeah, for me, my parents kicked me out of the house and didn't talk to me for 13 years. Mm -hmm. And that's not even the worst possible option for how it could go. Oh, yeah. And that's really what's kind of at the heart of this is this idea, like at the heart of my issue with it is this kind of idea that like. Oh, well, now that she's been unceremoniously outed by her sister who is mad at her. It's, you know, she'll come forward and it's fine. And she doesn't even come forward right away. She still continues to like, oh, well, no, I'm not. She's lying. She's making it up, which causes a rift with her relationship. And rightfully so, because that's Mm -hmm. not good either. It just the way it all gets resolved felt a little disingenuously perfect to me
0: it is messy. Um, this is a movie that has a lot of good things going on. Um, mostly in the performance, the performances in this movie with what they're handed are fan bloody tastic, um, in, in all sorts of different ways. Like not like there's a lot of different characters in this movie and a lot of different actors, many of whom are playing against type too. It's not like you, like you just get Alison Brie in this movie and she plays Alison Brie as a, for instance, um, yeah. She is so lot not
1: were- and Brie, which yeah, was actually right? really refreshing.
0: Yeah. So they're, they're doing a lot of things, but what I, I found when I, when I kind of <clears> sit <throat> and sat with it for a little while is, is two things. One, the ending of this movie is short by at least five minutes um, because everything is laid on the table with this relationship between Harper and Abby and with Harper's whole family, right? Because she, she, uh, she is outed. And then she, after some very quick introspection owns it um, and her parents need to square themselves to it. Um, there's about five more minutes of movie there that need to happen both between Harper and Abby and, and Abby's family. And I didn't think it was going to get tidied up into a neat little box, but there's a few more conversations that need to happen on screen before we get out. Cause we get out real quick. After Mm -hmm. all of that. So that's one thing. But the other thing that was actually brought up on Twitter by Roxane Gay, of all people, is -hmm. that this movie is also short at its beginning by about five minutes. Because through the bulk of the story, um, Harper is actually, she's actually pretty shitty to Abby during this whole bad position that she puts herself into she just time after time is pretty shitty towards abby Mm
1: -hmm.
0: we don't get a lot at the beginning of this movie to understand why abby loves her like i mean they have chemistry they connect i get that part but i don't understand their relationship that that it would survive just shit moment after shit moment after shit moment so we need like at least another little bit at the beginning to understand their chemistry their complexity and again this is this is i'm Roxanne Gay is right to point it out. Is like,
1: 100%. why would
0: you put up with this? You know, besides just time investment that we know has been about a year.
1: Yeah, there isn't enough, and that's that's the thing. Really, is that ultimately you have to make us care about your characters. And I legitimately cared more about Aubrey Plaza's Riley yeah. than I did about Harper, which is mm-hmm. not the way it should be. Like, I mean, you should care about Riley because she is the she is the past of Harper's current mistake. And 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 to be clear, and this is so important, Harper's current mistake isn't not coming out. Harper's current mistake is is throwing Abby under the bus at every possible turn. Like she had the opportunity to not bring Abby with her and that probably would have been the better option. Then yeah. bringing her along and lying every step of the way and pretending you're, you know, your past self and having that regression. They didn't invest enough in the characters. And and there's the suggestion that there is a lot of this movie on the cutting room floor, which I would believe. Um, Clea Duvall is in an Instagram shot at the end of the film in the credits as Aubrey Plaza's girlfriend. And uh. so there's discussion about her having like this whole other character that was written into the script and written mm. into the film and shot and then just excised. But yeah. that could also just have been a nice little Easter egg to throw in at the end and maybe she got a new girlfriend later. It doesn't feel like they've been given enough time to be people. And I'm kind of spoiling what we will discuss later because you you always ask us to pick, you know, further, further reading, so to speak, like the yeah, yeah. what we would get people to watch. And it kept feeling like this movie wanted to be the queer equivalent of the family stone. And it, and in that tone that gets set, it fails at every turn because it's not allowing itself to get to a genuinely like there are some genuinely emotional moments in it, but it feels like it's not affording the film, the luxury of being treated very seriously because Mm -hmm. this is a potentially very serious subject. Like it feels like it makes light of it to make it more palatable.
0: Well, I mean, it's, that's the way the movie is being sold, right? Like this movie is being sold as here's a new holiday romp for you to go through. And I mean, like, I will give it points for effort because it's not, you know, it could have played this very, very safe and just turned it into the slap happy. When are they going to get caught? Like the movie is, is very much a ticking time bomb in terms of when is Harper going to get found out, you know, and it doesn't really actually go for that. Like, you know, there's, there's jokes about Harper's hiding behind the door and the kids kind of see her and they're playing hide and seek. Isn't it Mm -hmm. cute? You know, it doesn't really hang its hat on that. And instead wants to focus on um, Harper's, lack of confidence in her choices like this movie very much has heteronormative heteronormativity on its mind dan levy kind of brings that up like because we start the film with um abby talking about how she wants to propose and she's like i'm gonna ask her dad for his blessing and he's like wow that's very heteronormative of you so i mean it does have that and appearances and trying to like live your hashtag blessed life on its brain right but In the center of it is this woman who, for reasons that we don't really get into, is not confident enough in her relationships with her family to be her best self at an age where she probably should be like... I I never got the impression that her family would like cast her out. I mean you never know that's that's the th- I mean that's the, at the core of that conversation that you were telling me about before between mm-hmm. between uh, levy and and Kristen Stewart when they're saying like there are this reaction, this reaction and a whole lot of other reactions in between that can happen when you finally get past that pounding heartbeat and say those two words that you will never take back that's the thing about this movie is that it really wants us to hang on Harper and wonder why she didn't ever have this conversation. Right. At this point in her life. But too often it just gets bogged down with all this other crap.
1: Well, I mean that one I didn't really take issue with because like you can have a wonderful relationship with your parents and still be terrified of coming out to them. Because you genuinely never know, even if your parents are oh, yeah. wonderful people who are wholly supportive. When I when I came out to my mom, I I was terrified and I did it in public. My God, I it was I, I was I was absolutely petrified. I didn't know if it was the right thing. No, that's a lie. I knew it was the right time and the right way. We had just seen Call Me By Your Name at Tiff Lightbox together and there was something it was it was Michael Stuhlbarg's ending monologue. So that's actually another option for that question, by the way. I subbed mm. that in as an alternate. You're um, skipping ahead. <laughs> that was very much like the this is my mom. I would be safe to tell her. And in telling her, I would feel more myself. But I was still petrified. And sure. and I and I told her, and I was, and I don't think I stopped shaking for about 30 minutes and I cried. And she hugged me and it was fine. And then she asked questions, lots of questions. And I answered them. And because she didn't know what pansexual meant, and I explained all of that. But it was very, even for me, and we know each other very well. So you know how close I am with my mother and how good a relationship I have with her. That was horrifying. So if that's horrifying, it's very understandable. Like, I get why Harper was terrified to tell her parents, particularly because of this, you know, unattainable uh, perfectionism that they hold over her head and the fact that they pitted all of their kids against each other and everything. It was, and poor Jane, oh my God. God. (laughs) I mean,
0: I I get that too. And this is not, like, I I have no experience like that, but I, I understand that just because of, conversations with friends and Mm -hmm. you know, what I have learned on my own, I guess what I'm saying is this movie doesn't really paint that picture of, of, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have the time. Like it's too busy, um, you know, trying to put her back together with her boyfriend and, you know, and, and, and and all these other things going on, like it's juggling 16 plates and hoping that none of them crash, even though that we know that at any moment they are all going to crash to really let her have that moment of articulating or even just putting it on its face. Like the one thing I got to give this movie credit for is every single actor in this movie is a bloody master at wearing their emotions. Like from the top down, there is a lot of show don't tell going on on the faces and the eyes of the cast of this movie, but it never really wants to give Harper that kind of time. And I don't know why.
1: I don't know. It felt disjointed. Like, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed it. And I'd kind of like to go back and rewatch it. It just.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting myth. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I kind of like Harper, but Harper feels half developed. Like the fact that she's even the way she's hanging out with her ex, her ex boyfriend. Yeah. Suggests to me that she might be bi. And that's okay. Why not make that a part of the discussion? Why not leave? Because she seems to genuinely have feelings for him, but they play it off like it's only appearances, despite the fact that Mackenzie Davis's performance is suggesting otherwise. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: and that doesn't necessarily need to be something that's overt, but the way the plot plays out and the way it's written feels very, I'm going to pretend I'm the straight popular girl because it feels safe when I'm in this place. And that would have been fine too, but it just didn't feel like they committed to to one or the other.
0: Yeah. And
1: th- and the same thing goes for like Mary Steenbergen's character, for example. And um and Victor Garber as the mm-hmm. parents. And they did a great job, but they're caricatures for 90% of the film. And then when it gets to the end, we get to see them do what they do best, which is be nuanced and offer. Yeah something else and in, like instead we spend i spent 90% of the film hating them not because and i don't think you're supposed to hate them
0: I no do. but you're i think you're supposed to, at least with with mary steinberg you're supposed to see her as a lot you know and i mean she god bless her she commits to it at every single turn she she, she absolutely does. owns the kind of character that she's supposed to be and i mean i even love the little beats like the fact that she takes pictures with her ipad because that is so annoying it's you know and yet they're like no no, no. you are the kind of woman this is what you would do you know or or how like she like lines up the the group the the christmas uh photo and uh and abby says okay everybody say christmas she's like no don't say no don't, don't say that <laughs> <laughs> it's just before you realize what she's actually said you're already laughing like she's a master at at that kind of performance and i feel like it's kind of crazy because I, I i really fell hard for her again um I mean, first of all, after her songwriting, which she did for Wild Rose. But I fell really, really hard for her in recently watching Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. And I kind of feel like she's been missing for a while. Um, so when I when I see stuff like this, it's you know, it's it's really quite something. And then, of course, we have Kristen Stewart, who I love to no end these days. <laughs> uh, I, she is. Every time she's in a movie, she does something different. I love when she's doing stuff like the movies that she recently did with Aseas, like Personal Shopper and, um, you know, uh, Clouds of Sils Maria. I even love when she's just having like good, stupid fun in Charlie's Angels. Uh, I want to see another movie with that character, with her playing that character, because I think that she very much knows what she's doing and is given the time and attention to articulate it beyond the moments where she doesn't even have to articulate it, and she just wears it on her face and in her posture.
1: I feel like she did a really good job in this. I I really enjoyed her performance, but still uh, above and beyond, like, bar none. I, I feel like Aubrey Plaza was above and beyond the best performance of the entire film. And she did what I was really hoping everyone would do, and I don't know precisely what the culprit is of this, but what she brought to the film was the heart that was potentially lacking in the script. She brought a level of emotion and nuance and poise. And she's also, like, every time I see her, I am blown away by just how talented she actually is. Like, she plays the persona
0: from... Parks and Rec,
1: yeah. Yeah, and I've never even seen Parks and Rec, and I know what her persona is on Parks and Rec because it's yeah. so prolific. Yeah. But in this, she's she's soft but tough and funny and sharp and intelligent and so human. She is just human, and it doesn't feel like any of the other characters are allowed to be human mm-hmm. to the point where for me it becomes uh it becomes an inhibition
0: so we should spell this out for people just in case they happen to be going along with us without having seen this movie and god bless mm-hmm. you if that's what you're doing um you know <laughs> it's like she, all
1: over the fucking place. yeah
0: so um Albert plaza plays riley and I, at fr- the, the thing i love about it is when we first meet her she's referred to as like riley riley as in uh. we know that she has some sort of place in Harper's past and we learn that you know like like you know when when they they finally have a moment where they're talking Abby and Riley kind of cross paths in a moment where they're off on their own Abby says I could really use some alcohol like really really use some alcohol and Riley's like yep okay and they go to a drag <laughs> bar you know one of the, what's got to be the only drag bar in this small town which is fantastic uh, as a set just talked about
1: like and jinx one soon i was so happy continue yes.
0: <laughs> um, and riley opens up to this pseudo stranger like she doesn't entirely know who abby is she kind of gleans it because she has a brain and she has eyes and she's perceptive <laughs> and she opens up about her actual place in Harper's past and what that feels like. It's something that is sometimes touched upon in a story like this is often not touched upon in a story like this where the current flame and the ex flame have a grown-up conversation. It's incredible. It is stunning. It is by far the best moment of this entire movie watching mm-hmm. these two women have an adult conversation just full of honesty and empathy and, and, and it's, and it's just allowed to just be, it's, it's a beautiful moment. And yeah, yeah, you're right. It is the, that there is a whole other movie between these two women, but it, we get it in the middle of this movie.
1: It's trying to kind of pinpoint. Cause like, I feel like I'm just dumping on this movie and I'm not trying to, there's just a lot to pick apart. Yeah. And like the, yeah, I think it it all comes back to really the treatment of Harper as a character because and and even like not not the performance I think Mackenzie Davis did what she was told to do and she did well with the parameters she was given because mm-hmm. she's fantastic and I love her to death and I think she does do a good job here. But from the from the get-go we are given red flag after red flag after red flag that especially from off the hop I mean when they're in the car and they're on their way there and she says, so you remember when I told you that I told my parents that I came out to them and that you were my partner and they were like really happy for us. Well, I lied about what? Oh, the whole thing. That is, that is insane to me. Like if you're not ready to tell your parents That's fine. But if you are serious about the person you're in a relationship with, you absolutely must be transparent with them every single step of the way, because otherwise you are treating the person that you supposedly love like a dirty little secret. And and no one deserves that. So if you're serious about it, and she's supposedly serious about it, and she treats Kristen, Kristen Stewart from the beginning like something to she's right. Why, like, why are you hiding me? Why are you keeping me in the closet?
0: Well, I mean, like that is, that's a pretty big lie. Like, you know, uh, like I'm, this is not, this is not my experience. Of course, as a straight man, this is not my experience at all, but I I do have to glean that there's, you know, the whole coming out and, and everything like it's very, very complicated. And as this movie paints out, it's very, very personal. So if you're not out to your family, okay, that's fine, but don't lie to me and tell me that you
1: are. Exactly. Because it presents, you know? for one, lying about something that big in a relationship, wherever you are in that relationship, is is bad news. Yeah. It is, it is setting yourself up to fail or have to do a lot of work to repair the damage. Mm. Um, and that's just kind of glossed over. And I, yeah. I kind of hated that, the fact that she's just like, well, okay, yeah, no, I get it. And like, I mean, she I must get really it, love her, you know? <laughs> that's what that's I'm what saying, like, if you're
0: okay with that, you must really, really dig this chick.
1: As you've said, it doesn't feel like it's supposed to be, like, it's marketed as kind of shticky and yeah. really funny and all of that. And it's funny. Yeah, yeah there's some moments. funny shit in this movie, yeah. But, like, it doesn't play out it It plays out like it's trying to be slapstick while it's hiding behind the facade of profundity. yeah and I and i I hate that because like, just commit because you can still be funny while being serious and taking the subject matter seriously. and yeah. these are it's written by it's I mean, I don't know about um, I don't know about Mary Holland, but I know Claire Duval is gay or at least yeah. queer and i like it's written from by the right people it's written by the people who know yeah so i kind of wonder what happened
0: yeah i i don't i don't know and i mean like it's it's what i like to call an interesting mess like i sometimes prefer this kind of movie to something that I come away from, like call me by your name. That's pretty much perfect. You know, I'm like, I can have long conversations about call me by your name, but I can't really dig into it because it's just how awesome was this and how awesome was this and how Mm -hmm. awesome was this, you know, being able to pull at threads and let things grow and let things fade and whatever. I find that those are sometimes the more interesting conversations. I mean, like one of the things I like about this movie is, you know, we we've talked about him already a few times is Dan Levy Mm-hmm. who, you know, we've had the trope of the gay best friend for at least 20 years now, probably longer, but I think it really kind of leveled up when we got Rupert Everett in my, you know, my best friend's wedding. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. we've had this trope for 20 years and it's always been the same sort of thing. It's, it's kind of the, the girlfriend that's not actually a girlfriend. And here we take that trope in, in a, in this kind of movie and we turn it into something different. You know, we turn it into somebody who is sometimes very silly and dumb when he's killing your fish.
1: Sometimes, (laughs) you know,
0: sometimes kind of self-involved when he's tracking your phone. But Mm -hmm. when you need him is the voice of reason And, you know, like, there are lots of actors who could have done this very, very well. But at this moment in time, that seemed to be Dan Levy's role to take.
1: Yeah, I was there was so there were a couple of frustrations that I had with that. I I adore him. And I love that he's starting to get into more and more acting because David Rose was the first time he had ever acted. Mm -hmm. And but this felt like they just like, like he was just hired to play David Rose. He's a little careless and he's a little absent-minded. He's pretty self-absorbed, but ultimately deep down inside, he's really sweet. And even down to the mannerisms and everything. And again, David Rose was his first time acting. So totally fair. I understand that he might have some overlap and some carry, carry through. But like I was kind of hoping that they would maybe use him a little bit differently. And the monologue was a nice break for that because you did get to see him try and be a bit more serious mm-hmm. uh, without the without the affectation of David Rose and but and this is related to Dan Levy but unrelated to Dan Levy where were the animals what is this discussion of oh so did you take care of the animals we literally never saw a dog or a cat what are you talking about like this is basic establishment shots man like why wasn't there sleep on the bed with with why wasn't there a uh A dog asleep on the bed with harper in the morning when abby's downstairs making coffee it's that simple and i know i say this and like i've never made a movie myself in my life i've edited a few screenplays but still that doesn't exactly qualify me and i know there are budgetary constraints but that is that is a basic thing and it perturbed me so much every single time kristen stewart was like so how are the animals i'm like what flipping animals. You never showed us animals. And all of a sudden we're supposed to be more invested in your home life because you have a family together. Even if it's a family of animals, like, no, that doesn't. uh, It's another missed opportunity.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's like, ah, you know, I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you (laughs) and you did. It's like, uh,
0: Oh uh, boy. I love that. This this podcast is just evolving into an endless string of memes. Um,
1: But, You're right.
0: It's like we wouldn't have even thought about it if the movie hadn't brought up, made it such a point. Like they commit, and it's one of those things. I I always use it as the the A on a report card full of C's. It commits to the fish, you know. Like he goes a great deal of distance with this fish that he's killed. So we clearly know that they know that that the animals need paying attention to. But where are the rest of them? You know. I see that A that you got in geography, so I know you can do it. What happened to you in math? When Levy is given the chance, and I mean, it's one of those things where I think, if nothing else, we are all hashtag blessed to be at the beginning of more from Dan Levy. Like, I really think that uh, Schitt's Creek was an incredible, pardon the phrase, coming out party for him in terms of his talent because he was the showrunner for that show for its, it's latter two thirds, which is really where if you talk creator. to everybody. He's the creator, but you know, not to get too far into a digression. If you talk to anybody who has seen that show season one and two do not entirely lead you to understand what it is going to become in season three through six, you know, yeah. and, 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 it, and that's the thing is when Dan was given more control in season three through six, that was where the film really, really took off. And, and that's, what I look forward to seeing in film, like not just television, because it's clearly, it's clear. You can just look at the Emmy awards this year. It's clear what mm-hmm. he can do on television. I'm now interested to see what he can do as a performer and a writer in film, because clearly mm-hmm. we, you know, he's shown when he's given even something this messy and small that he will just show up and do what he does with it mm-hmm. and, and give us a new version of the gay best friend.
1: Now this is, for all of the issues that we take with this film and especially all the issues that i take with this film ultimately my number one takeaway like if you asked me did you like it my answer is yes and no um do i think it's a great film no not by any stretch of the imagination do i think it's important a hundred percent yes this film Mm -hmm. is integral and i will tell you why I think we, well, I know we need more movies for marginalized communities where their marginalization isn't necessarily the bread and butter of the film. And I think about uh, a film like Love, Simon as the perfect example. And it's, you know, this really sweet teen rom-com. Does it do anything revolutionary? No. No. Is it revolutionary in its very existence? Yes. Is this film doing anything different? No. It's done. It's doing things that we've seen done before. It's, it's ultimately what this comes down to is like it's the need for presenting yourself as perfect. Yes, it's this idea of perfection. And it's about wanting to fit in with your family and for your family to approve of your choices and to approve of the choice of your people of yeah. your person, the person that you want to spend your life with, and how that reflects on you. And I think this does that while also addressing some of the other underlying issues that come with the territory of being gay, lesbian, pansexual, bisexual, etc., cetera. And that in and of itself makes this movie important, yeah. I think to an excess. It's like it's the same thing as like as a Jewish woman, you know, wanting films that talk about Jewishness or that feature Jewish characters who are overtly so without it having to deal with our orthodoxy like with disobedience or our suffering as a people as with, you know, Schindler's List or, you know, I don't know, some some something else that portrays us as a stereotype. For yeah. for the queer community, we want to be we want to be able to just exist in media because we exist in reality. Our life isn't constantly being persecuted for our for our, our for our sexuality, um, and it's also not a never-ending pride parade of a stereotype yeah. either. So it's nice to be able to see like. Oh, look, they did wind up getting engaged. That's sweet. Like that's the visibility and the representation of that is so important because we've had a million movies of people bringing somebody home for the holidays and the parents hate them or they're hiding something about them. And then they follow and then everything works out and they get married and it's fine. The Straits have had it for a long time. We need <laughs> to.
0: I, I agree. It's it's crazy because I mean we we always end these segments with talking about a score. And along with the fact that I'm an asshole and I get people to assign an arbitrary score to something that is not at all arbitrary. Um, you know, a movie like this, we are grading on several curves. Are we grading it just in the scale of a movie? Well, then, yeah, it's, it's a messy, probably failure. Are we grading it on the scale of holiday movies? Hey, it's better than average because there's some real shit out there. Are we grading it on the scale of queer representation? Yeah, does a better than average job. Queer cinema? Not really because there's some amazing queer cinema out there. It's, it, you know, it's, it, that's the thing is that it, it's kind of in the middle of this weird little Venn diagram of all kinds of tropes and while it is still a mess like you and I can both agree that we both like we both like that it exists and that it will potentially inspire better versions of this story there, there's a lot to enjoy about I mean we haven't even really touched on the, the one daughter who's just really struggling to be oh my seen God. you know who's trying so hard that... whether it's
1: uh... <laughs> That also also bugged me. That bugged me so much because the same way Mary Steenburgen and and Victor Garber bugged me was because there was this, at least with them, it was very much this, they were being played. And I think they were told to behave as fake as humanly possible. That's the only way I can make sense of this. And that's fine. But I think that was the wrong instruction. I think Mm. it's entirely possible to not behave like a Buster Keaton caricature and still be a fake human being. It doesn't have to come across as super hammy all the time. No, don't say Christmas. Like, gag me. I'm sorry, but stop. No, don't do that. (laughs) It's obnoxious. And it means that we're not supposed to take you seriously. It sets a precedent. And the same thing thing is true of Jane. They set her up as the pathetic comic relief. And then at the end, she's the most successful of all the daughters – and she's this she's this beacon of like light and joy and hope and like i love that i love that journey for her but yeah. i wish they would have at least like like let her be hurt let us see that their actions and behavior towards her has an effect on her because the entire time she feels like an autonomous robot that's just kind of like oh yeah i'm supposed to be big and over the top cool i'm gonna do that and i'm supposed Mm -hmm. to be loving to you and like bend over Mm -hmm. backwards for you and that's great and like we never see her crack
0: no i mean like it's crazy because when we first bring abby into the house like i don't know if my version of gaydar is off but i kind of felt like she was gonna like be into her like she's not she's not far too no but i mean her rea- her reaction when abby shows up is weird you know like i can't nail down if she's, ex- if she's excited if she's nervous if as i said she's into her i'm like she's got like a lot of different things going on in that moment and i cannot nail any of it wow. um And and then, you know, like, yeah, like every time I do the one thing I do recognize, obviously, as the movie goes on, is every time somebody pays her even a morsel of attention, she grabs it with two hands like a dog with a bone, because she doesn't get any attention. Like that part is made very, very clear. But at the beginning, like it's she she starts out very hard to read, which, as you say, like is not fair for somebody who, when they ultimately get their chance, actually sticks the landing.
1: Yeah, it's just it's. Again, it's a bit of a wasted opportunity. Like, I never got from her that there was that she was interested in Abby or that she was closeted herself. I never got that at all. She seemed like a desperate puppy the entire time. And I mm-hmm. get that she's supposed to be kind of the human equivalent of that because she is starved for attention, starved for any kind of validation, and is shockingly normal given the level of abuse she has she gets during the runtime of the film from her immediate family. Like, I am. Yeah. S- Dunned because their behavior towards her is is abusive. It is not. She's funny. got
0: real deep <laughs> reserves. That's all I can. That's all it I can is. think of.
1: But like it, it, it goes in line with the issues that I have with Harper, and that she's not flushed out enough. We get this caricature of a human being instead of really investing in the creation of the character and the flushing of her out. And we don't need to find out more about her, but like, if you think about, again, I'm going back to the Family Stone because you're coming into a big family and you have all of these different characters that have their own quirks and things. And like, it, it would be like if we got Rachel McAdams' character in the Family Stone, who is mean and closed off and judgmental, And all she was, was nonstop mean and closed off and judgmental. And that's not what we got in that. We got to see, even when she was being mean and closed off and judgmental, she still had... Soft edges. You could see the humanity. You could feel the humanity. She was a real person that was being fleshed out. And so it was okay for her to be that, because then we would see a different side of her. We'd see the softer side when she warms up to the the paramedic, who she really does like, and yeah. that it's okay to be that way. With Jane, it's like, I'm at 11 all the time. And the only reason I'm getting upset at my parents is because my sisters are getting upset at my parents, although they're right. Their behavior is bad. But the only reason I'm raising my hand to say anything about it is because they're, is because my sisters are doing it and I want to be like them. And like yeah. it just it's exhausting.
0: Back to what I was saying on the A of the report card full of C's. Hmm. This movie has time to give that kind of complexity to Riley. And it doesn't have time to give it to Jane. That's that to me is stunning. That it has time to give it to the long lost ex, but it doesn't have time to give it to one member of the family. You know that, that, that that's that is a strange thing. And again, like like Jane's whole story could be a movie all its own. And I mean her her like her success is an after the credits scene. Um,
1: what All of a sudden, at the (laughs) very end, it's like, "Oh yeah, by the way, when I publish my book, this is going to be great."
0: and we're all like, we all laugh. Like every time she's like, "When I publish my book, I'm going to take care of all of you," and we're like, "Yeah, okay." You know, it's true. And the book did like the movie is like, "Hey, remember I told you?" You know, ah, I mean,
1: but like we got to that even even that mention of the book is like. It's out of nowhere. It's at the end. It isn't earned. And it sits like, <laughs> okay, so I guess now you're deciding you're going to write a book in order to make money for the family. But no, clearly she's already talking to Dan to Dan Levy about it. This is a book that she has had in mind. Where was this character exposition earlier? Where yes. was this character development? I think it has the All time. It? I think it just needed, the script needed more refining. And yeah. I don't know if there was more refining that was done and shot and then it was left on the cutting room floor but if that's the case it needs to be put back in and re-edited but there is context missing and this script needed another pass. That yeah, is that yeah. is the, my biggest takeaway is that the script wasn't strong enough and it needed another draft or two.
0: We, we end our, uh, segments here on that. A cast, uh, our, our new slang segments on, with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep you would, uh, and there is a lot in this movie to take away and keep, um, Ariel Fisher. What would be your souvenir from, oh, you're, <laughs> you're happy. What, what would be your souvenir from Happy season?
1: If I had to pick one, uh, Kristen Stewart's outfit at the Christmas party.
0: That's a great outfit.
1: It's such a good outfit, and I want it so badly. Either, Like, honestly, if I had to pick, I would just say her entire wardrobe with, like, parts of Riley's. But yeah. since I have to pick one, it is her outfit at the Christmas party because it is fantastic. And I need yeah. it. I need it.
0: <laughs> I'm sure that you will be able, like, you know, there's often, like, sites that can, like, source the wardrobe for a show or a movie or something like that. So I bet you five bucks like that suit and shirt and like loose tie combo will probably be like, here's where she got it kind of like kind of thing.
1: It's the new, um, um,
0: oh, the new flea bag jumper.
1: Fleabag thank you. Yeah. Yes, it is yeah, the yeah, new yeah. flea bag jumper.
0: I love, yeah, yeah. I, I, I t- I'm, I'm on board with this. I, I totally agree. Uh, my souvenir was easy the second it happened in this movie, I felt the pang of needing this in my life um, because i've had it before and it's been a while and now it definitely will not happen um late in this movie the whole family goes to a screening of it's a wonderful life and it's a wonderful life actually holds the mark as the movie i have seen in the theaters the most times because for a very long time i would see it in theaters Every single Christmas. I think I got up to about 12 times of seeing that movie in theaters and a it's been a few years just because life at Christmas has been crazy uh, that I've been able to actually go out and see it and b, obviously this year that is not a possibility and I know I can it's going to be on TV a trillion times. I own a copy people. It's not the same as being able to sit in a theater and watch that story and as i said the fact that it is my most watched movie in a theater and it shows up in this movie i was like damn it that is the one mm-hmm. thing i want If i could go into this world and take for a second i would but that wardrobe is pretty badass as well oh my god it's amazing. um we end our Matt uh reviews with a, with a rating um, on a scale of one to four, and you know I'm I'm actually kind of interested at this point, given everything we've said up and down about this movie. Ariel Fisher, what do you give Happy Season uh, on a scale of one to four stars? At two point five
1: three ish, okay. somewhere I'm, in that vicinity.
0: I'm warmer on this movie just because I I have a soft spot for an interesting mess, um, so mm-hmm. I give it a three. You know, like if we're if we're getting into like. Specifics, it's like a soft three, but um, <laughs> just because there's a lot that's stuck in my craw about this movie that really and truly had no right to stick anything anywhere. Ooh, that's a okay. <laughs> um, yeah moving but but you know, Christmas <laughs> movies generally speaking are very disposable, and this is one that is no way disposable, and I like that about it, and I liked my time with it, and I do actually look forward to revisiting it in the future. And kind of working it into the rotation so three out of four three out of four for me two and a half for ariel um maybe you hate this movie maybe for reasons that neither of us understands you love this movie let me know ryan at matinee.ca twitter where i'm matinee underscore ca or facebook.com slash dark matinee what do you think of uh cleo duval's happiest season we are going to take a very quick break and come back with some more conversation about film after this come on back we're going to flip the record over and play the other side We're back. She's Ariel Fisher. I'm Ryan McNeil. You have no idea what we've been talking about on the break, but it's been fun. Uh, It's Matinee Cast 248. Uh, We've been talking about Happiest Season. This is the other side, the time we go deeper down the rabbit hole and talk about other films you could watch uh, either in lieu of Happiest Season or because of Happiest Season. Um, Ariel, why don't you get us going? What is, uh, you know, we've talked about a bunch already, so if you want, we can go back over some of this road or you can bring up something altogether different. What is something somebody could watch uh, in, in hand-in-hand with Happiest
1: Season? My automatic go-tos for this, the ones that immediately jump to my mind, uh, are ones that I've already mentioned. So if you're coming to this after, like, say you skipped all of the spoilery stuff and you're just coming to this, this will be new for you. Um, so for me, it's uh, The Family Stone and yeah. Love, Simon. And it's kind of this idea of like conceptually mashing the two together. Because mm. for me, this movie is kind of the Christmas equivalent of Love, Simon.
0: We've kind of touched yeah. on that one a few times. Tell people who may not have seen Love, Simon what that is actually about.
1: Because oh, I kind absolutely. of feel like
0: that flew under the radar.
1: Love, Simon is about this character named Simon Spear, who is played by uh, Nick Robinson, who is a gay teenager in high school and he's kind of writing these letters to uh to a pen pal and his it, the big secret is that he's gay and he talks about this with his pen pal and he kind of starts falling in love with them and with him and but he's in the closet his family doesn't know his friends don't know And he's in high school, so he's afraid of coming out because of what'll happen. And it's really just, there isn't a hell of a lot more to it that I even want to say than that. Because I went into this movie relatively blind. It has kind of the, uh, you know, some of the standard teen rom-com tropes like, um, Can't Buy Me Love, where like you have the blackmail thing going on. There's a part with that. Though not from you know, the protagonist and the love interest, but I digress. I do wanna leave as much of that kind of in the dark as possible, but generally speaking, it's just a really nice, never been kissed, can't buy me love kind of love story for a teenager that, you know, we've seen a million times. That's really the best way I can think to describe it. And, And we have, we've seen this story and a similar execution a million and one times. It is not unique but it is unique in that it is about a gay, a a gay boy and that his love is what's at the heart of it. And his desire to be out and unafraid is at the heart of it, but it's not his oppression. It's not, it's, you know, it's, it's not capitalizing on that. And in that it's really beautiful and it's really lovely. I think I watched it on a plane when I,
0: you you know, and,
1: and, in the before times, I was tearing up. I was tearing <laughs> yeah. up. You
0: know, kind of tying back to what we were talking about in terms of, you know, the the quality or lack thereof of Christmas movies and how we grade on a scale is Love, Simon is based on a young adult novel, which, you know, for the last decade at least, probably before that too, the Last certainly the last 20 years, um, they have been a goldmine for studio developments. Like every YA novel that... Is a medium-sized hit. It must be adapted because it might be the next Harry Potter or the next Love in Our Stars or the next. You know, there's there is there is a very very deep well of of young moviegoers that their their dollars can be yours. And the couple things: one, the actual source material that they're choosing from is a mixed bag. Like there is a lot of really well-written YA out there. There's a lot of junk. And then once you get past that threshold, there's a lot of really good adaptations out there and there's a lot of junk. And this is one of those rare marriages that unfortunately I don't feel was marketed well enough. Cause I don't think this movie made a whole lot of bank it where it was, it was written really well and it was turned into a really good movie. And you know, that that's something that I like to celebrate when a certain section of the pop culture zeitgeist is well served, you know, in terms of Mm -hmm. the entertainment that is given to them and the representation that they're of, right? Like there's a really great scene in that movie where he talks about, you know, coming out and the reactions that that can spur. And he's like straight people have no equivalent. And they then, you know, show it. What would happen if you came out as straight? And it's a great little series of big
1: i'm heterosexual record scratch
0: yeah yeah it's (laughs) fantastic um yeah no love simon is a really good movie that would make a great companion with this in terms of like doing everything in this movie better um a movie that i immediately thought of with this um i fear is a movie you haven't seen Yet, And I use the caveat yet because when you get your chance to see it, I'm sure you shall. Um, It played at TIFF. I saw it at TIFF, loved it at TIFF. Uh, Have you by chance seen a movie called Shiva baby?
1: You've told me about it. I have not.
0: So the whole idea behind happiest season that we're going back home and we haven't come out of the closet, it sets the timer on the ticking time bomb. And that is very much what happens in Shiva baby because of several things, because this young woman, she's like early, early to mid twenties goes to a Shiva. And there's a couple things going on that, that have the, the, the timer set on the bomb. One is that one of the other guests at this Shiva is somebody who she has history with. And by far the biggest problem at this Shiva is the fact that somebody brings a baby. So repeatedly in this script is expressed the words who brings a baby to a Shiva, you know, (laughs) and it's that, like I said, off the top with, um, happiest season and the whole notion of what it is about holiday films that make us so thing. So, so, so pent out of shape is the fact that you're going back to your younger self. And that is, Part of what happens in Shiva baby is this young woman is forced to interact with a lot of people in her, mostly her parents community, not even her community. Like she's not going to a Shiva for somebody who she's really close with. She's going for somebody who her parents know, you know, like, like it's, it's not even like somebody in her family. It's, it's, it's one of their friends or one of the family members of their friend that she goes to because she has to right? Because she's expected to, and she's expected to make an appearance. And that's the thing is like when she's in amongst this community, they are all seeing her as a five or a five-year older version, a five-year younger version of herself. Mm -hmm. And she's having to answer the questions like, so you're done school. Now, what are you doing? You know, like that whole thing that you go through every time you're in this orbit of people who you only see at fill in the blank. Christmas, Shiva, funerals, you know, Ramadan, whatever it happens to be. When you go back into that that place that you're only at a few times, Shiva baby is 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 that, but with a baby.
1: Right. I am so intrigued to see it. I forgot about it completely, but you had told me about it before, and now especially because it's like centered around a Shiva, and that's Shiva is one of my favorite it's it's a weird thing to say it's one of your favorite traditions as a jewish person but it is one of my favorite traditions as a jewish person so i'm supremely intrigued to check this movie out and i will have to find it
0: um you also <laughs> yeah you know, so but besides did you have any others besides perks of uh no, besides perks besides
1: the family stone and love simon like were there any others that came just to those two okay. those those were my two big my biggies
0: Okay, I mean the other one that I thought of because I also did think of the Family Stone, which we've we've touched on a few times. Which I also, by the way, agree uh, that is a good Christmas movie. Like there is a lot of shit when it comes to Christmas movies, but there is a lot of good ones too. And it's it goes beyond your typical family vacation, Home Alone, It's a Wonderful Life. Like there's a lot of things that you think aren't that great just because they Mm kind of came and went, but actually have some some complexity to them family zone is one of them for sure
1: it was also terribly marketed its marketing oh, yeah. failed it completely because it was marketed as a situational comedy
0: yeah and it's which,
1: anything but it's funny but it's also deeply sad
0: yeah oh very much so oh, um so another one that i thought of which i do watch every christmas because i am a big fan of come november and december i stack the deck with films that take place at christmas because if you are bored of always watching it's a wonderful life home alone vacation yada 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 you know that canon of 10 or 12 so-called Christmas classics and you want to broaden out the shelf mm-hmm. look for the movies that take place at Christmas but aren't necessarily Christmas movies so for instance my traditional Christmas Eve watch is my one of my all-time favorite movies the apartment which has a huge chunk of it that takes place on Christmas Eve. But that is not the movie that I'm talking about here. The movie that I'm talking about here, which also has a huge section that takes place at Christmas and has elements that other that otherwise tie back into Happy Season is Perks of Being a Wallflower.
1: Oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. That's, that's,
0: not a, that's not a happy O. Oh.
1: No, it's not a not happy O oh either. It's okay. an O. Oh. Yeah, that makes sense. I yeah. like I get it. I am also de- like I read the book and loved the mm-hmm. book. So the movie, mm-hmm. the movie never really I was a bit I was a bit too old for the movie when it came out. Right. Um, right. So it never uh, the movie never really like latched on. OK.
0: But. And I mean, and that and that might be the difference because I came to it as a film. And I mean, it's it's kind of crazy because it's directed by the author. It's 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 directed by yeah. Steven Chbosky, which is almost never happens unless your name is Stephen King. And even then, um, you know, and it's, he it's, only directed
1: one movie and it was, yeah. that's a that's well, a well, yeah. yeah, We're not yeah. going to get into that one.
0: Um, but I mean, you know, it's, it's a story again of self-realization um, younger, of course, than the characters in happiest season, but you know, of, of, of trying to figure out who you are at this moment in your life and being able to, identify and being able to deal with some past shit, uh, which, you know, certainly throws things for a curve. And a lot of it, um, is tied back into Christmas. Like Christmas is kind of all over this movie, uh, Christmas past and certainly Christmas present when he finally does make some friends and, and they're played so, so very well by Ezra Miller and Emma Watson. And, and, it's, you know, it it I I love how, you know, it it would go really really well with Love Simon cuz they're both again YA books. Um mm-hmm. and you know, this this is a this is I feel like this is what Happiest Season wants to be. You know, without without some of the darkness cuz Perks of Wallflower gets bloody dark.
1: It is um, dark and the book is exceptionally dark.
0: Yeah, I feel like like, you know, without the darkness, I feel like this is the bullseye that Happy Season is aiming for.
1: Yeah, I think so, to to a certain extent. I think it's been a long time since I've since I since I've seen it. So it's just come here for it. Throw it on. I don't know, man, that 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 stuff's heavy.
0: But that's the other thing is like some of the very best Christmas movies are like, you know, we, we, we've talked we've touched on It's a Wonderful Life a few times. That thing gets really dark in the middle.
1: I think it's we each have kind of our own core, like fear being very subjective, mm. grief and mourning is very subjective. Mm. So I think there is an element of, there is most definitely an element of trauma and mourning to the perks of being wallflower, and it's the type of grief and solemnity that I don't, I don't readily revisit because okay. I, lived, yeah, no, I, because I lived, because I lived in so much of it. Not mm-hmm. the not situationally specific lived in yeah. so much of it, but like and it I read it at that time in my life when all of okay. that stuff was happening. So mm-hmm. it is it's like I'm not averse to it. And I also remember that the movie, it just didn't hit enough of the same way or enough of the right way that the book did. So it was just kind of like, eh. I don't uh, need to subject myself to a half-hearted version of it.
0: Right, right.
1: It's bad. It's not bad. It's just when you know what I mean. If you come to work well, no, first I, and you have that investment.
0: Yeah, oh you I mean you're you're preaching to the choir here. And and, yeah. and you know, it's 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 that kind of thing. Like you're you're your gateway into a property, whatever it happens to be like, that's usually the thing that you kind of find the most precious, certainly the one that's fleshed out in the way that you want. Um, You know, I, I still, I I still do believe in this movie and believe that anybody who hasn't seen it uh, should see it. Or at the very least like, you know, if if you're, if you're thinking, eh, maybe not do read this book. It's not even a long book. Um, And it it is incredibly well written. Um, It's just, you know, again, it's, it's, it's one of those things with both the book and the, movie it's 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 punching above its weight and i love when a property is able to do that is able to elevate beyond just what it has to do to get in get out and make its money
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know yeah so and it gets kind of
1: held to a different standard that way
0: yeah and i mean and you know happily like this movie made like a modest amount of money It, it, it made like it made cash it's not like it's a failure or anything like that but no. um, it's, it's another one of those ones that you know kind of did it's thing and then fell back and I kind of feel like a lot of people have either forgotten about it or just ne- never knew about it in the first place and and I'd say that either either the book or the film Ariel of course er- comes down harder on read the book um, Of course being a wallflower uh, I, I think it does what Happy Season wanted to do in, in its in its heavier ways better there we go. That is episode 248 of the matinee cast. I am so bloody thankful that Ariel Fisher was able to join me. <laughs> Come on back on Monday, December 14th for episode 249. We will be discussing Mank, which is coming to Netflix, not nearly soon enough, but it is coming to Netflix very, very soon. Ariel Fisher can be found writing on Shudder. Uh, what have you got coming up that people can look forward to? And I'm sure there's other avenues that you're writing out that I've forgotten to plug. So
1: well, plug your you wares. Can- <laughs> Plug my wares. Well, you can find me, I edit Shutter's weekly newsletter, The Bite. So if you like horror or want to read fun horror stuff, subscribe to the newsletter that uh, Joe Hill called Integral Horror Writing. Humble brag. Um, <laughs> I, it blew my mind. I still can't get like over that. So whatever. But um, I also occasionally write for Fangoria Magazine, but don't have anything coming out with them anytime soon uh and you can also find me on slash film a fair bit in fact i did a recent review of kindred and i have another review coming up uh shortly i will say i'm gonna leave that one a little Dropping quiet, some mystery at the
0: end, here. It's, it's of a,
1: an intriguing property that has a lot of hype behind it that I am exceptionally happy to get to review. It's I'll a
0: beautifully that. wrapped box that we don't know what's inside. I like and, how how very apropos.
1: And otherwise, uh, you can find me in any of my other work. Just look for me at Aphis eight on Twitter and you can find me there.
0: Of course, my site is thematinee.ca for more audio content. You can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, all of the normal places, Pocket Cast, uh, where you find better podcasts and they give you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. As always, if you use a podcatcher of choice and my show is not there, let me know and I will put it there. Feedback on uh, Happy Season can be left in the comment section of the site you can email ryan at the matinee.ca twitter i am matinee underscore ca and there is always facebook facebook.com slash dark matinee any final thoughts ariel fisher
1: uh be kind be generous wear a mask and stay the f home
0: well said for ariel <laughs> i'm ryan we'll see you at the matinee